Well, good morning and welcome again to Grace Bible Church. Thank you, Phil, for leading us in worship. It's always, always wonderful. Well, we're going to return back to the book of James, the letter of James, one, one last time. Uh, it's it's a kind of a interesting feeling to be to the end of this wonderful epistle, the epistle of James. Uh, I've enjoyed our time. I hope you've enjoyed your time and and in this wonderful letter as much as I've enjoyed teaching it. Uh, as I've studied James, if I, as I've studied this letter, I've come to really more and more appreciate the heart of its author. Uh, I've appreciate James's heart as a pastor. Uh, he has the heart of a pastor, but he also has the heart of a lion. He truly desires or desired to shepherd, shepherd his people. And as I've studied, I've come to understand how much James truly cares for uh, his people. He desires them to truly know the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can tell that his heart breaks that some of them, that some of them who were closely associated with the church were, were not walking with the Lord. They were lost. And as such, this letter actually has, has had a, an evangelistic theme to it. Uh, we've seen that James really addresses three different groups in this, in this letter. Uh, they're the poor brethren who are suffering for their uh, profession of faith in Christ. And he's encouraging this group to persevere. Now today, he gives two commands. He gives two commands, really, to those people who are struggling in Christ. These two commands are to protect, to protect your straying brother or sister in Christ. First, you must loyally pinpoint the weak. And second, you must loyally, or lovingly, that is, pursue the wandering. Now, let me read James chapter 5, uh, verses 19 and 20. <clears throat> As we get started. James 5.19 My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Heavenly Father, we come to you again and we pray that your word, Father, that we would be uh, attentive to your word. Father, that we would learn and grow through the preaching and teaching of your word. Father, I pray that I, as the preacher, would decrease and that you would increase. And that this would not be my words, not be the words of my mouth, though you might use my personality in preaching, but it would be your word, what you would have the people hear. Father, I pray again that we would just... Do all this in, to your glory and to your honor. In Christ's name, amen. Now, as I've said, he, James is writing to these three groups of people. 
And the first group is these poor brethren who are, are struggling or suffering for their profession of faith in Christ. He encourages this group to persevere. He reminds them that if they do continue to persevere, they will receive the crown of life which has been promised to those who love Christ in this life. Christians who desire to truly follow Christ in this life will experience suffering. In many cases, they will experience persecution and even death. Just this past couple of weeks, we have witnessed the death of a Christian missionary, 26-year-old John Chow. He died at the hands of a tribe of natives. Uh, We don't know exactly what happened, and we're not sure exactly what led up to John's journey to this remote island, the Sentinel Island off the coast of India. We're not sure exactly why he went there, except that he went there to share the gospel with these people. We know he went there to befriend the tribe that that lived there. And we also know that these people that he went to, we know that they they are known to use physical force to keep people from approaching them. According to an article by the New York Times, it says this. In the 21st century, it is a marvel that a place like North Sentinel even exists. A tropical island, it is home to a few dozen people living a lifestyle thousands of years old and speaking a language no outsiders understand. Visitors have been driven back and killed by the islanders armed with bows and arrows. Mr. Chow knew this. Again, according to the New York Times, it goes on to say, He did it all with the single-minded goal of breaking through to the people of the of North Sentinel Island, a remote outpost of hunters and gatherers in the Andaman Sea, who had shown tremendous hostility to outsiders. It goes on to say, it was an obsession. Ever since Mr. Chow had learned in high school through a missionary website, the Joshua Project, that the North Sentinel people were perhaps the most isolated in the world, he was hooked. Much of what he did for the rest of his short life was directed toward this mission. The New York Times continues. Many of his friends admitted that they knew the mission was extremely dangerous and illegal because for years the Indian government had prohibited outsiders from visiting this island. But they also said they were in awe of what he was trying to do, seeing Mr. Chow as a pure expression of their faith. Then it says this, his mission failed. His mission failed. After landing on the island in mid-November wearing only black underpants, Mr. Chow thought that the the islanders would, which we thought would make the islanders feel more comfortable, he struggled to communicate. They were aggressive, the islanders were, as they had been to just about everybody else that had tried to make contact with them. They shouted at him, they shot arrows, then they killed him. And his body is left on, still on the beach, according to this article. Indian police officers are afraid to even retrieve it, lest they increase the hostilities. Now, let me, that's, that, that's the end of the, the article. Let me just say this. This is filed under the fact that as Christians who want to live, who desire to live godly in this present age, will be persecuted. We don't know... 
we don't have enough information to know exactly what this man was thinking. Whether he was using wisdom in his approach to these people. But we do know that this young man was zealous to see people one to Christ. He was zealous in his walk. Now, you might expect great backlash against John Chow in the secular community. And only time will tell whether he acted wisely or if his visit was foolhardy. But as Christians, who are thinking this through as Christians, we must applaud his willingness to suffer. To suffer great harm and even die so that these people would come to know the Lord. So that these people would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And we may not know. We need to understand this too. We may not know for many years or even decades what effect his death may have on these people. We don't know. God may well use his death death for their salvation. He may use his death to fuel the fire of missions for the coming years. But one thing is for certain. This man was not concerned about his own life. This man was willing to stand in front of this group of people to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that if this tribe died outside of a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they were doomed to pay for their sins, suffering the wrath of God for eternity. And he understood that these people had enough knowledge, have enough knowledge, that is. They have enough knowledge uh, of the revealed God that has been re- who has been revealed to them through creation, through what has been made, to doom them to a- eternity in hell. And he also understood that the proclamation of Christ is not popular. It's not popular. He must have known that he would be ridiculed for giving his life in such a manner. He did it, as far as we can tell, because Jesus promised eternal life to those who follow him and proclaim his name. Now, not all of us are called to a remote tribe to proclaim the gospel and die. But we are called to proclaim the gospel where we are, right? We are called to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we must understand the deceitfulness of sin and Satan. He would like nothing more than to see all of you turn from following Christ. He would love for you, for each one of you, He would love for you to fall in love with the world. Some of you could even be in danger of falling away even now. You see, that was the case for the second group of, uh, uh, that James addresses in this letter. We have called them the fence riders. They, they're, they're on the fence. They have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. They, they are associated with the church, but they love the world. You see, James is very concerned for these people. He is concerned that they will fully embrace the world and fall away from Christ. Now, we've all known people. I'm sure you know people who have fallen away from the church. Angie and I, my wife and I, have had some dear friends who were in the church. We, we knew them well. 
We use their home for church events. They, they seem to be a solid couple. Eventually, his job took him away from our church, and you know we kept up with him for a while on Facebook and other, other means. But sadly, they ended up, this couple ended up getting a divorce. And neither of them that we know of are walking with Christ now. These were dear people that were in our lives that we knew very well. Maybe you have a similar story. There was another couple we knew, very similar story. They were in the church. Now, there were warning signs with them, but they were in the church. We were close to them. Eventually, they both fell away and divorced. As far as we know today, neither are walking with Christ. It's a real danger. The danger in this, in this book of James, in the epistle of James, the danger was very real for James. He knew that this group of fence riders were in grave danger of falling away. They were in grave danger of following, following after the world. They were in danger, they were in danger of, of falling away and, and never and, and, and falling away, falling away and, and suffering eternity in hell. Many of them loved the world and they chose to go after it and all that it has to offer. And what we have to understand is that the equation has not changed. Look around you, beloved. We've already said it. There are people here today, and there have been people here that we've had here in our midst that are in danger of falling away from Christ. It's that real. Beloved, that's James' main reasons for writing these last two verses. That's James' main reason for writing, really, this entire letter. He is concerned for those who have, are in grave danger of falling away. He is concerned for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, in these last two verses, he definitely or definitively tells us that we are our brother's keeper. We are our brother's keeper. The question is, are you your brother's keeper? If not, you should be. Now let's look at the first command. The first command to protect your straying brother or sister in Christ. Loyally pinpoint the weak. Look at the text, James 5.19. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back. James again starts with this, this phrase, my brethren. He's used it often throughout the letter, showing that he, again that he truly loves these people as his brethren. He has a, a shepherd's heart to turn them back to the Lord if they're straying from the truth. Back in James 1.16, he said, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. In that verse, he wants them to understand, according to James 1.17, that every good gift given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In other words, brethren, even your trials and difficulties are a perfect gift Perfectly crafted by God the Father who makes no mistakes. Your suffering means something. Your suffering has been crafted perfectly by God the Father who does everything good. You see, the people that James was talking to were in grave danger of believing that God had forsaken them. They were in grave danger of believing that God is not good and that God is not caring for them. 
that God had, once they had proclaimed Christ as their Messiah, that God had just left them. But James wanted them to understand that this is a deception. This is a deception from the great deceiver himself, Satan. Said another way, it is a lie from the pit of hell. And those who believe it are in grave danger of falling away. And James wanted to impress upon them the importance, the importance of perseverance. He wanted to impress upon them the importance of what they were doing. And that's why in verse 18 he says that they were brought forth by the word of truth to be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. In other words, they were the first fruits of the church. In other words, they were the first fruits of the church. And as so, they, they were the first of a great harvest to come. So their lives meant something. Their suffering meant something. And their perseverance was important, not only to themselves in their own eternity, but also to the, the coming church. <coughs> they were enduring great suffering, but what they were doing would bring forth a great harvest in the church age. See, this was the truth. This is what James wanted them to understand, that God is good and the trials and difficulties which seem to be coming from the hands of of evil men are ultimately from a good God who wants to grow them and increase their dependence upon Him for their good and His glory. But all of this was in danger if they believed the deception. So James says, look at the text. If any among you strays from the truth. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth. In other words, if any of you strays from believing that God is good. If any of you stray from believing that the gospel is true. If any of you begin to love the world more than you love God. If any of you begin to think that you can merely believe in God at a surface level without having any effect in your life then you're in danger. If any of you begin to justify in your mind why you don't need to help the truly needy among you, even if if you must swear to your own hurt. If any among you begin to say it's more important to make money and have status in this world than it is to love my brethren. There are a myriad of ways to fall away from the truth. There are many myriad of ways to stray. James was concerned that these people would stray from the truth. For James, the truth meant right doctrine. And for James, right doctrine can't be separated from right living. Let me just say it this way. I used to say this when I was a, a younger Christian, learning and growing in, in doctrine. Right doctrine will by necessity lead us to right living. Because what the mind thinks, the mouth confesses and the body does. Anything less of James, James dubs as sinful double-mindedness. When we, when we believe one thing and we live another. But if we have right doctrine, if we believe the right things about the Word of God and who God is, it by necessity leads us to live the right way. Now, you might be tempted to think that, that when he speaks of straying, straying from the truth, you might be tempted to think that, it's a, that this is casual. 
But really, James, if you look at verse 20, ties this with spiritual death. So the deviation from the faith here is a serious issue. It's, it's tantamount to apostasy. Beloved, I want you to know. I want you to understand. This world is full of deception. This world is, is full of deception. It pulls us from every direction. Right now, you are being pulled from every direction. Therefore, we need the true church to come alongside us, to encourage us to persevere. That's why the writer of Hebrews penned these words in Hebrews 10, 23. It says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says this as a warning in verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. So is gathering together, is coming together that important, Pastor? Yeah, I think so. It's that important. Because we need to hold one another accountable. We need to, we need to consider how to uh, stimulate one another to love and, and good deeds. We need to encourage one another. Because if, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. As we read and study James, that is his very same concern. He is concerned that these people, that his people would stray from the truth and they would turn back to their former lives. Even if that means denouncing Jesus as their Messiah. Which, beloved, means there's no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for their sins, right? Because Jesus himself is the only pure and true sacrifice for sin. Hundreds of thousands of animals were slaughtered on Temple Mount. The blood of all the animals ran thick, but not one molecule of that blood was enough to cover our sins. So if we denounce the the pure and spotless Lamb, if we denounce Him, what can ever atone for our sin? Nothing. Jesus Himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It's been said Jesus is not one of many ways to approach God, nor is he the best of several ways. He is the only way. Beloved, if you stray from the truth and go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains for you a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Therefore, it is important for us to encourage one another every day. It is important for us to remain loyal to Christ and to one another 
It is uh, supremely important for us to identify and, and pinpoint those who are in danger of falling away. This is where there is great difficulty, right? How do we pinpoint the weak? Who are the weak? Who are the ones who are in danger of falling away from Christ? Well, beloved, the answer is easier in times of great difficulty. And that's what James was dealing with here, right? There was great difficulty, which was causing them, causing great pressure. Right now, you don't stand to lose a lot uh, by, by coming to church. You don't stand to lose a lot by proclaiming Christ as your Messiah, as your, as your Savior, as your Lord. But I promise if you, you stood to lose everything, your true heart would be exposed. That's a truly terrifying thought. In James's day, there was great difficulty and following Christ called for great sacrifice. So many were falling away. They were turning their backs on Christ. They were turning their backs on the truth. So James says, look at the text. If anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns him back. One turns him back. Now that phrase is truly amazing. James says, if any among you strays, it is anyone's job to turn him back. He doesn't say, go call in the professionals, right? He doesn't say, call the Calvary. He doesn't say, call for the elders. He says that it is your job to go after the straying brother or sister in Christ. That's to say that you have a primary role in going after one who strays. In effect, James is saying that any one of you are subject to fall away, and any one of you may be called to go after the one who strays. Does that make sense? Any one of you, any one of you sitting here today, are subject to stray from the truth. But any one of you today, sitting here today, may be called to call that person back to Christ. To go after that person. Also, let me remind you that if you do fall away, if you have an evil, unbelieving heart, then you are responsible for your sin. Beloved, don't play with sin. Get away from it. Stay away from it. John Owen says this, When sin lets us alone, we may let sin alone. But as sin never, is never less quiet than, what it's, than when it seems to be the most quiet. And its waters are the, for the most part deep when they are still. So ought our contrivances against it be to be vigorous at all times and in all situations. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying when, when it seems like things are, are going well, that that's when sin can come up and bite you. That we have to stay and be, we have to be vigorous against it at all times and in all situations. Charles Spurgeon says this, If you will not have death unto sin, you shall have sin unto death. If you will not have death unto sin, you shall have sin unto death. There is no alternative. If you do not die to sin, you shall die for sin. If you do not slay sin, sin will slay you. End quote. Which brings us to our second point. 
What are we to do if someone in our midst begins to drift or wander? We must, point number two, lovingly pursue the wandering. Point number two, loving, lovingly pursue the wandering. Point number one was loyally pinpoint the weak. The ones who, who are potentially are going to, to stray. But point number two, lovingly pursue the wandering. Look at the text, James 5.20. Let him know who he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. James says to let this person know. Go, going after the wandering brother or sister in Christ is your job. You must lovingly pursue them. We are called to this important task. And the question is, what exactly is our work? What are we doing? What are we doing when we, when we are turning our brother or sister from sin? First, let's define what James means by turn. The word translated turn can refer to a person's initial turn from sin to God and conversion. It was used this way in Acts 14.15. In, in Acts 14.15 it says, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. So turn, turning from the vain things to a living God. Paul, Paul also used the same word and the, the word in the same way in First Thessalonians one nine, where he said to the the Thessalonians, he said they turned from of them that is they turned from their idols to serve a living and true God. So so James is speaking then of a complete change in direction from sin to serving a, a, a living God. Now, in our context, in James. James specifically refers to one of you or one amongst you turning. So this person then is a person who is outwardly identified as being one of us. He is outwardly identified as being a Christian. And they've strayed from the truth. Therefore, we're called to bring them back. Therefore, we're called to bring them back. We're called to to turn them back. Back to the faith from which they had strayed. Now, we must answer this question. Whether they were a Christian in the first place, right? Now, I believe James will give that answer in the next part of the phrase. We must understand who we're going after. James calls them sinners. Now, a while back in chapter 4, we learned that this term sinner is used only of the unregenerate. It is used in Scripture of the unbeliever. Mostly, it refers to a hardened unbeliever who openly and defiantly disregards the law of God. An openly bad person whose evil character is apparent to everybody. As an example, in Genesis thirteen thirteen, the homosexual men in Sodom were called sinners. In Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners. In verse 5 of the same Psalm, Psalm 1, it says, Therefore the wicked will stand in judgment, will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Again, speaking of those who are wicked. Therefore, this word describes the character of a person who lives in sin. 
in 1 John 3, 8, John says, the one who practices sin is of the devil. They are sinners. So back in James 5, James calls these people sinners. Therefore, he's referring to someone who doesn't truly know the Lord. Now, let's think about the nuance here. In other words, if they continue on their path of sin, if they continue on the direction that they're going, they never knew the Lord in the first place. It's the reason the Apostle John says this in 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were, really, they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are not all are, are all not they are all they all are not of us. You get the point. If they continue on this path of sin, then they don't truly they never truly knew the Lord. Now I want you to understand this. Whether we are saved or lost depends on our ultimate path. That's a sobering thought. <coughs> Spurgeon says this, you will find that all true theology is summed up in these two short sentences. Salvation is all of the grace of God. Damnation is all of the will of man. Beloved, you can do great things for the Lord. You can proclaim the gospel in far distant lands. But if you turn away from the Lord, you were never His. Never His. Earlier in James, we learned about Abraham. In Genesis 15, it was said of him that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was made righteous by God. God made him righteous. Yet his faith was proven to be true when he raised the knife to plunge it deep in Isaac's heart. His perseverance and his obedience proved his faith to be true. Proved it to be a true faith. Beloved James says in James 2.19, You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. In other words, demonic belief won't save you. When we see a brother or sister turn into error, we must go after them. We must Go after them. We must be willing to snatch them from the very flames of hell. It's that serious. James says that we are to turn them from the error of their way. The error of their, their way will lead them to eternal death. But if we turn our brother or sister back, look at the text. Look at the text. We will so save his soul from death. We will save his soul from death. We will save that person's very soul. In Genesis chapter 2, when God breathed into man the breath of life, he became a living soul. Therefore, this is he, James is referring to the real person that dwells in our mortal body. This is the immortal person is being saved here. You need to understand the threat then. The threat that we're talking about. We're talking about eternal death 
outside of Christ. In other words, we must point them back to Christ Jesus and his atoning work so that their souls would be saved from from an eternal death in hell. James goes on to say, and will cover a multitude of sins. Cover a multitude or hide a multitude of sins. What what does that mean, you say? Forgiveness. This verse is talking about forgiveness. When one strays and is turned back, he will find forgiveness. We find forgiveness at the foot of the cross, beloved. No matter how far you've strayed, you can be forgiven if you will just turn from the error of your way. We want to see people saved. We want to see their sins forgiven them. Beloved, if you're toying with the world, if you're loving the world, and you're walking with, not walking with Christ, and you know you're not walking with Christ, you can be forgiven. You can be saved. You can find forgiveness at the cross. James is concerned for these people. He's concerned that they would, under this time of suffering, that they would turn away from Christ. That they would that they would go to the world, that they would find find their, their satis- try to find their satisfaction that is in the world, but you can't find it there. You can't find it there. You can't find forgiveness there. Forgiveness, true satisfaction can only come in Christ. We're going to, in a few minutes here, we're going to partake in the Lord's table together. It's a time of reflection on the Lord's death. It's also a time of reflection in your own life. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask Alec to pass out the the cracker or the wafer and the juice. But before I do, I want to give you a few reminders. Communion is for believers in the Lord Jesus. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, having repented of your sins and trusted in him for your salvation, then you are welcome to partake with us. Parents, please help your children to know when it is time. Part of knowing if they're ready to partake is whether they are able to give their testimony. If they are able to to clearly articulate their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I also want to remind you not to partake in an unworthy manner, but to examine yourself. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And don't partake if you know your brother has something against you, but go, leave your offering and go and make it right with him or her. 
Now, the Apostle Paul says that in observing the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, I want to take some time to reflect upon the Lord's death at the cross. We said in, in the sermon that we can come to the cross and find forgiveness there. And take some time to reflect upon the scene of the cross. In John, in John 19, in John 19, verse 17, verse 16, they handed him over, Pilate handed him over to be crucified verse 17 they took Jesus therefore and he went out bearing his own cross the one who grew the tree created the tree is bearing that tree to the place called the place of the skull which is called in Hebrew Golgotha there they crucified him and with him two other men one on either side and Jesus in between Pilate also writ wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but he said, but he, that he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. In verse 28, John nineteen twenty-eight. after all these things, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill Scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar of full sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It was finished. It is complete. It's complete. His work was done. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Beloved, our Lord went to the cross. Not for his sins. Not for sins that he had committed because he had not committed them any sin. He went there bearing the wrath of the Father for the sins of the world. Paul, picking up on this, says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's the great exchange. It's the great exchange. He bore the wrath of the Father. Not that he became a sinner. We don't. That's that's wrong. He became made him who knew no sin to be sin. He treated him as if he were the sin, pouring his wrath out upon him. The Father pouring the wrath out on the Son, so that if we might look upon him and believe that he bore our sins on the cross, that we can be saved. 
Beloved, I want you to meditate on these things. I want you to take some time and, and confess sin. I want you to take some time and, and think upon these things deeply. Making, making confession to the Lord. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and... What, is this, what, is this, what else does it say? It says to cleanse us. He's faithful and righteous to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So it's a serious time of reflection, a serious time as we reflect upon the, the death of our Lord, as we meditate upon our own lives, as we think about what we have done, confessing, confessing our wrongdoing, knowing that it's not by our own good works that we are saved. As Paul writes in Ephesians 2, For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, so that no man may boast. Meditate on these things. Meditate on what God has done for you in Christ to His glory.